to our great God. Almighty God, we come before you now as a church, praying and presenting our needs to you, and confident that you hear us, and that you are eager to listen to our needs and care for us. Father, we pray for the needs in our congregation today. Father, we see this woman that you healed in this passage. And we pray for any who are here carrying burdens by themselves today. Father, I pray for anyone who's struggling with trials in this life, whether they're hidden sins or shameful things that they are carrying or health struggles or whatever they be. Father, would you help those in this church to be honest about their needs? Father, I pray that you'd help us to be honest with each other about our needs and that we would put to death fear of man. Father, help us to admit our sin and our struggles with fellow believers. It may be a strange thing in our church when we don't talk about what we're walking through. May it be a common thing that we would bring the struggles of our lives to one another and to you. Father, as we see death in this passage. I'm reminded to pray for our widows and widows in our church this morning. Father, for those dear members who have lost a spouse, we pray that you would comfort them even now. Father, we pray that you would fix their eyes firmly on the resurrection to come. Father, we remember that we're not the only gospel-preaching church here in Palm Beach County. Father, this morning I pray for Palm Springs Baptist Church. Think of Pastor Gerald Olson and Pastor Wade Arthur. Father, we pray as Gerald preaches from Romans 12 this morning. Father, may he be faithful to your word. May the disciples there at that church grow. And would you add to their number there, we pray. Father, as we hear news of the Southern Baptist Convention meeting this week and, and messengers and leaders gathering, we pray that the decisions that are made at that uh, convention would be shaped around your word. Father, we pray that the disagreements that are there would be a model to those listening of how to disagree in Christ with other believers. Father, we pray that the testimony coming out of that convention on the news and elsewhere would not bring shame to the name of Christ, but would be a testimony to the watching world of what your word says and of how Christians relate. Father, we pray and intercede on our own behalf, on, this con on the behalf of this congregation as we gather at this moment. Father, would you work in us? Father, would you use your word by your spirit in our hearts? May your word not be met with unbelief today. May we be good listeners, showing good soil. May we be changed in the image of Christ as we look to Christ for help. We need you, O oh God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This month... 
is a month in our wider culture which has been dedicated by our culture to celebrate your own autonomy, your own self-discovery, your own self-expression. With autonomy, our world says that what's most important is that you have full authority over your own body. You should always be free in your body to do whatever you decide, as long as it doesn't seem to hurt anyone else. Your authority is unchecked. And so we see clothing apparel with slogans like, free to be me. With self-discovery, our world says that what's most important is that you look inside and find out who you truly are internally. Discover that truth first and foremost. And so we have Target ads which tell us, be true to yourself. And with, with self-expression, our world tells us, find meaning in expressing yourself. Discover yourself, but, but don't just stop there. Make sure that you express it to others. And so we eat our french fries under the McDonald's slogan of living my truth. Friends, these underlying values just honestly stand in opposition to the bold claims that God makes in his word. Even today in the book of Luke, we find a much different, a much better story. When the world tells us that what's most important is our autonomy over our own bodies, today's passage shows us that Christ has complete authority over your body. When the world around us tells us to find hope internally with self-discovery, find out who you truly are, well, today's passage tells us to find hope externally, find out who Christ truly is. When our world tells us that self-expression is what's most important, regardless of who you are, well, in today's passage, we meet a woman who, after being healed from who she really was, finds her expression in telling what Jesus has done. Friends, Luke calls us to fix our eyes outside of ourselves. Luke calls us to rely on Christ. We're going to see this today in the book of Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56, the passage that Bruce just read. If you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 8. My prayer is that seeing how Christ works to grow our faith, you will rely on Christ, both with the needs of your body, which is the primary emphasis of this text, but also with your whole life. And so I'll just walk through this passage, and what I'm going to do is just offer five reasons that we should look outside of ourselves to rely on Christ. And to begin here, notice the stage is set with a desperate need. Look at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Why should we rely on Christ? Number one, Christ hears our cries. 
Christ hears our cries. Jesus had just returned from across the Sea of Galilee from the Gadarenes. And again, crowds are, are forming to welcome him there. And approaching him was Jairus, this man of notoriety. He was the ruler of the synagogue, but his, his status didn't keep him from begging from Christ. Unlike other Jewish leaders that we see, other Pharisees we see, this man came and admitted his need to Christ. Notice how heightened the moment is for Jairus. This is desperate. He implores Christ, falling at his feet. This is personal. He, he invites Jesus into his own house. This is urgent. His daughter is dying. His daughter is precious. It's his only daughter. She's in the prime of her life. She's only 12 years old. Friends, what we're, what we're hearing here is we're listening in to a, a 911 call coming from a father who's in just desperate need of help right now. If you're a father here, perhaps you can just imagine your child being on the verge of death and making that telephone call. This man is crying out to Christ. And please notice that once again, as we're seeing in the Gospels, Jesus immediately goes. Christ hears his cry. I'm just going to keep pointing this out to you again and again throughout the book. How notable it is that Christ just has this default impulse. It's almost assumed in Luke's version here that he's going to respond to this cry for help. So Jairus still has a hard lesson in front of him, but it, it begins by first seeing that Christ will hear and come. This, this word implore, verse 41 in the text, it, it means to urgently exhort or encourage. That's where it's translated to, to appeal. And so it's as if Jairus is coming and, and appealing, encouraging, like convincing Christ, come, please come help me. Friends, we should rely on Christ because Christ hears our cries. This is, by the way, just one reason why we did what we just did as a church. We, every service before uh, the sermon, we just take a moment together as an assembly to have a prayer of petition and just focus our hearts just on asking God for help. Certainly we do this as a congregation, to do this as a body, but I, but I also do this, honestly, as a way to just teach you, to model to you again and again that the needs of your life, whatever you're thinking through, whatever our church is working through, it's right to take those needs to God. We should be crying out to God. We should be like Jairus, falling down at Jesus' feet, presenting him with our personal cries in everything, by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. Jesus hears our cries. The story continues, verse 42 and following. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Second reason from the text that you should rely on Christ. Number two, Christ holds all power. Now, it's important to notice, as Christ went to help this man with his daughter, that these crowds here were, were pushing in as they were welcoming, welcoming Christ. So in verse 40, we see the mass of people waiting for him. 
And then down in verse 42, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Then farther down in verse 45, Peter observes that the crowds were surrounding him, that they were pressing in on him. Literally, they were crushing him, this word means. Perhaps you've been in a crowded space, at, perhaps at a, a sporting event you can think of, or, or maybe public transport somewhere where you were just in a crowded mass of people pushing around you. You can imagine the, the swell of this crowd. You can imagine people pushed together and kind of elbows being thrown at one another or sh pushing shoulder to shoulder to just move forward in this crowd. And in this busy scene, Luke takes and he focuses his lens back just behind Jesus on this woman in her need. Now, now clearly she had a medical need of this hemorrhage it was a chronic, ongoing problem for her. And it was costly, we see there in the text. It, it spent all, she had spent all of her living on physicians. Imagine that, trying to, to go, going broke, just trying to find a cure for her body. It was not only out, ongoing and costly, but it was also hopeless. The text says that she could not be healed by anyone. Friends, this woman needed Christ. And so she comes up behind Christ in the crowd. Imagine she surely had to elbow her way just to get there. And amidst the jostling around, she, she reaches forward. You can kind of picture her reaching between two people in front of her. And she touches the very edge of Jesus' robe. And she's healed. Luke was, says it was just immediate. The moment she touched the edge, she was healed. Notice she touches, Luke says, the fringe of Jesus' garment. This is probably referring to the blue tassels that would have been on each of the four corners of a good Jew's robe. Uh, you can read more about that in Numbers 15, 38, where these, these tassels were hanging down as a rem reminder to follow the commandments of the Lord. Sorry, that's Numbers 15, 38. I suspect the picture here, though, is less about the tassels and more of this picture of the outermost extremity of Christ's person. Here's the idea. Here's the point. Christ can use the, the very lowest and least part of his person with far greater power and effectiveness than 12 years of every physician that this woman could find. His power over your body is that he can use just the very threads of whatever robe he's using, wearing, the very threads that are hanging down to heal. By the way, this is what we see elsewhere in the Gospels, similar passage, Matthew 14, 35 and 36. If you want to jot that down and read it later, Jesus heals with the very edge of who he is. The point is all power is in his hands. Beloved, this should shape our prayer lives Every one of us in this room will walk through life with bodies that will inevitably face the results of the fall. You will, if you haven't already, see the fall manifest in your body as your body falls apart. Yes, see physicians. Yes, go and pursue the ordinary means of health that God has given you. But do so relying on the power that Christ has. 
Last week, we saw that, that Christ has this power over the natural world. And then we saw that he has the power over the supernatural world. Here we see he has power over all disease. He has power over every aspect of the human body. A chronic, hopeless, and incurable illness for Jesus is no trouble whatsoever. Wouldn't this make sense? Colossians tells us that it's by the word of Christ that, that all things were created. If he created you, does he not know you and have the power to heal you? So in this room right now, Christ sees and governs every weak muscle, every firing neuron in this room, every cell of cancer in this room, every clogged artery, every complaining nerve, he's governing it right now. Oh, friends, you can rely on Christ because he holds all power. Twelve years of hopelessness was immediately brought to a halt by the power of Jesus Christ. So let me just encourage you as your pastor. Next time you find yourself flat on your back, getting an MRI and staring up and trying to not feel claustrophobic, or, or next time that you find yourself across from the desk of a, of a doctor who's getting ready to break some bad news to you, or next time that you are waiting for the labs to come back and they're just, once again, taking a little bit longer than you would prefer. You can be concerned about a great many things in that moment, but do not question who is governing your body. Jesus holds all power. Let's keep reading. Verses 44 and following. She came up behind him, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Third reason you should rely on Christ. Christ sees our need. Now, this interchange is intentionally strong. I wonder if you pick uh, strange. I wonder if you picked up on some of the strangeness even as I read it. It's strange for the disciples because Jesus just pauses this entourage that's moving to help Jairus, and he just stops it and asks a strange question. Who touched me? It's absurd to ask that in the middle of this packed crowd. Peter is right to point out, obviously, many people are touching you right now. It's strange for us because it almost looks like Jesus might not know who it is that, that he healed or that he healed this woman and how that happened. I think this story is actually intent, intentionally written from this perspective. It's written this way. His, his pausing the entourage, his asking these strange questions, not because he didn't know, but because he wants to draw the woman out. He wants to, to, to pull her out of the crowd. 
He wants to address another need in her life. You see, this woman's hemorrhaging of blood was not merely a medical issue, although it was that. No, to the original readers of this story, this would have obviously been an issue of uncleanness, of impurity before God. Just read through Leviticus, as many of you have this year. Leviticus 15 outlines at length for how this Jewish woman, this would have been an issue of ritual impurity. It would have been this continual embarrassment for her. It would have been this continuous source of, of separation for her from her community, a source of shame for her. She would have been prohibited from living normally as a citizen of Israel. She should have never touched this rabbi. We saw this in the story, didn't we? Verse 44, you can, you can see her shame. You can see this, this separation she feels. She, she comes up behind Christ. She doesn't want to approach him like all those others have been doing, openly to his face. She's unclean. Verse 45, she doesn't respond when Jesus asks who touched him. She's hiding. In verse 47, she, we see that she was trying to be hidden, and she realizes she was not hidden before Christ. And so in verse 47, she comes up to Christ trembling. She's nervous before this rabbi and in front of all these people. This, I believe, is why Jesus stops. This is why he, he clearly is drawing her out. He's clearly trying to get her to identify herself. Jesus sees her, and he sees her need amidst the crowd. He knows what she needs. He knows that she not only needs help with her physical body to be healed, allowing her to be healed by just touching his garment, but he knows that she needs peace. She needs to be able to go in peace. And the peace that comes from coming openly to Christ and confessing her reliance on him. And so, Luke tells us she's, she's transformed. Falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people. What a reversal. She's hiding, as she should, not wanting to come in front of Christ, touching him from behind, hiding from his responses. And she realizes what's happened. She, she realizes the change that, that Christ has brought physically. And she's pure now. The, the impurity, the uncleanness is gone. So what does she do? She comes in front of all the people and declares in their presence why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Her self-expression, by the way, has much less to do with telling people who she really is deep down inside. Discover that and then express it to others. No, that's not her. Her expression, her expression has much more to do with declaring to others who Jesus is and what he has done, how he has purified her, how he has made her new. Friends, this is just an image again of the message of the gospel. We come to Christ in our impurity. We come to Christ not deserving to even be near this rabbi, and Christ, knowing us better than we know ourselves, 
He cleanses us and he heals us. If you're here today and you're not trusting in Christ, let me just encourage you. You need to know that your sin before God makes you unclean. The Bible teaches that all of humanity has wronged God and that, that our sin, the wrong things we've done, we have done have just separated us from God. Like this woman was separated from Israel. They've made us unclean and unworthy to approach God. But the good news of the gospel is that even though we've done wrong, even though we have good reason for shame before God, that God comes to us in Christ Jesus. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect and sinless life, the life we're studying. And then he, he died on the cross in our place, taking God's wrath on himself so that we could be found in him. He it was taking our punishment. He rose from the grave, rose from the dead, defeated death, defeated sin. Now all who look to Jesus Christ in faith find this instantaneous healing that this woman experienced. Immediately, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look to Christ in faith. Believe what he's done, not in what, what you're trying to do. Believe what he's, in, what he's already accomplished for you, and he will cleanse you from your unrighteousness. He will wash you clean. This is the good message of the gospel. I pray that you will consider it today. He washes us. He cleanses us from our sin. He, he rescues us. He does what he did to this woman. He heals us, and then he gives us his peace. Do you see that in the text? He sends her away again. By the way, with the same words that we saw back a chapter earlier. Do you remember that adulterous woman that had come to Christ and washed Jesus' feet? Word for word in the original language, it's the same exact sentence. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He, he's giving her peace amidst this shame that she's been carrying. And, and he's also clarifying, it's not that you touched my robe. It's not like my robe is this superstitious thing that you can just touch it and the healing is from the robe. Oh no, it's your faith in me. Your faith has made you well. And so go in peace. Jesus Christ gives peace to this daughter seeing her need. Well, this reminds us of another daughter in the story who is still in desperate need. Let's continue on. Number four, we should rely on Christ because Christ expects our trust. Christ expects our trust. Now, please remember, this whole scene that I've been telling you about right now is happening on the way to another need. If you remember, Jesus was rushing off to that, that dying, that bedside of this dying girl. His, his hurrying off to, to help with this plea of need that Jairus has. And Jairus' daughter was in an urgent situation. It was critical. And Jesus there stops. And he takes his time to deal with this woman who's come up behind him. I mean, there could not have been an easier case to just keep moving on. She wasn't even talking to him. She was healed, and she was ready to move on. Jesus stops the train and deals with her, and Jairus' daughter is dying. 
This choice is pointed out by Luke especially. Notice earlier in the passage, Jesus had been running off to help a 12-year-old girl. How many years had this woman been dealing with her problem? 12 years. The, the idea is that this woman had been dealing with this chronic disease for the girl's entire life. Couldn't it just wait just a little bit longer? What, what, what would you have felt? What would you have felt if you were Jairus in this moment? Watching Jesus coach this woman on true faith. Knowing that he was stopping from going to heal your daughter who was dying. Look at what happens verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. This is like an ambulance being called to a, a tragic car accident. And instead of rushing off to the scene, it, it pulls over and offers consolation at a, a consultations at a nearby clinic. We don't, we don't need to go there. We can just stop here and help some others on our way. This daughter's need was clearly acute. She needed immediate life-saving intervention. Jesus stops the ambulance, and the girl dies. Has Jesus mistriaged the need? Was he essentially some ER nurse that let the wrong patient stay out in the waiting room? while he brought in a less severe problem and that patient died? Did Jesus fail to remember that this daughter was on the verge of death? I wonder if any of you today have felt like God has mistriaged your needs. Perhaps his timing just feels off. What happens to you. What, what do you feel like when you are like Jairus in this moment, imploring Christ in prayer, and you get the news that your daughter is dead, that your prayer is unanswered? Maybe you just didn't pray quick enough. Jesus calls for trust in this moment. Verse 50, but Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Now, we're about to see just an incredible story of restoration. The reality in Scripture, though, is that restoration after suffering is often beautiful and amazing, like we're going to see here. But many times in Scripture, restoration after suffering never comes until the next life. Oftentimes, we're called to be at the place of Jairus, here, to not fear, only believe, knowing that we won't see how all is well until we reach heaven. The question we face, beloved, is the same that Jairus faced. Will you trust him? Jesus expects it. When it's your turn to be Jairus, and hear the worst possible news. Will you trust him? When in your estimation, Christ's timing is off, and he still says, do not fear, will you trust him? When, when it seems that God has mistriaged your need, 
And he seems to help those who are standing by, just, they're doing fine. And he leaves you standing helpless. Will you trust him? When your child or your parent or your spouse dies, will you trust him? Friends, the story will end the same way that our story ultimately ends, with Christ showing power over death. But for now, in this life, this age, we find ourselves in the place of Jairus here. The question for Jairus is the same as it is for us. Will you trust Christ even before you see the end? Think about trust. Michael is dead. Makes a point. He says, uh, she's not dead, but she's sleeping. It's the same line he used that we heard Chris read from Lazarus. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. The idea is that death is so minimized by the presence of Christ that it has to be renamed. That's exactly what their early church does, by the way. If you read through the New Testament, the early church picked up this language and they started using it. You'd find nine times across the New Testament that they spoke of death of believers as merely falling asleep. In a sense, Christ renamed death. Because for us who are in Christ, death, it is a painful situation. It is a result of the fall. But it's merely like falling asleep for a time before getting back up. Beloved, when those around you fall asleep into the arms of Christ, will you trust him? Look how the story concludes in verse 50 and following. Jesus, when hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child, and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, she, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So Jesus raises this girl from the dead. He, he goes to the house. He, he passes these professional mourners who were playing outside. Mark tells us this was directed to them. He he tells them to stop their weeping, for she's not dead. But by the way, notice the irony. They did stop their weeping, started perhaps nervously laughing, because they, they know he's really dead. And the double irony is that Jesus is here replacing weeping with laughter. Jesus takes only his closest disciples in, and her parents singles them out and takes them into this room and he raises this girl to life. Why should you rely on Christ? Christ hears our cries, he holds all power, he sees our need, he expects our trust, and lastly, Christ loves with tenderness. This isn't the first resurrection story that Luke has told us, but the emphasis of this one is especially on how Christ works Tenderly, Oh, church, as we conclude, let me just exhort you, look to Christ with me again and see his tenderness here. 
see his tenderness and know that the same Christ that we're about to see, that we see here in this text, is the one that is tenderly loving us, his bride. Verse 50, first speaking to the Father, Jesus invites him not to fear. Jesus assures this father in the worst moment of his life that all will be well, tenderly. Verse 51, Jesus separates out the father and mother. He takes them up to see their child. The image seems to be that he's he's wanting to give them exclusive care, caring for them in this, this hurting moment. Verse 54, he comes into the room and he takes the girl by her hand. Now, we've just seen, we've just seen that he doesn't need to touch her to heal her. He can use the threads on his robe or he can merely use his words and she will be healed. He has the power to do this efficiently. He has the power to do this from a distance. We saw this with the centurion servant, didn't we? No, he's taking her hand in such utmost tenderness as a father would, picking up the hand of a napping daughter. And then he says to her these words. He says, child, arise. Mark's account tells us it's Talitha Kumi. These words in Aramaic are what a, a father in Israel might say when waking up his daughter in the morning to a new day. Child, get on up. Honey, it's time to get up now. Wake on up. Tim Keller remarked on this passage, Jesus is saying, if you have me in your life, the greatest enemy that humans have ever faced is merely a good night's sleep. Friends, at the whisper of Jesus' words, death just steps to the side effortlessly, effortlessly, with tenderness. Wake up now. It's time to get up. Same breath that blew dust and made Adam now just speaks and gives a life back to this child. Perfect power combined with loving kindness. So when you see Christ's power, you know you can go to him. He has power over the storm. He has power over a legion of demons. He has power over your body and every disease and every form of uncleanness. He has power over death and life itself. It's nothing for Jesus. You can go to him Oh, but when you see his power combined with his tender love for you, not only can you go to him, but you'll want to go to him. You'll desire to go to this tender Lord who uses his good power for you. Here is the one that you can trust. Here is the one who will tenderly care for you. Here is the one that you need. You can come out of the crowd shamelessly. 
Because even with your impurities and your history and whatever you've got, he's already accepted you and he's healed you in Christ. Here's the one that life's greatest enemy holds nothing over and is tenderly using that power, O church, for you. This passage ends with her parents being amazed. But Jesus is telling them not to tell anyone what happened. I think it's because you know, he's, he's not doing this miracle to be known. It's not what he wants to be known for. His, his teachings are, are public at this point in his ministry, but, but this, he's caring for this family. He's not looking to, to begin some resurrection ministry yet. Oh, but he will. Friends, I don't know where you are today. The world around us is telling us, look inside yourself and find hope in expressing who you are. Be in charge, be an authority over your own body. Let everyone do that. And we come to God's word and he shows us a far better authority. He tells us not to look inside, but look outside of yourself. Look to the one who created this world. Put yourself under his tender, loving care. Submit to him. And he asks us, will you trust him today? Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and for the power and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he describes himself as gentle and lowly, that he comes to us in our need, and he doesn't leave us in our brokenness and confusion. He calls us out. He heals us. He cleans us. He brings our dead hearts to life. We praise you for the work of Jesus Christ and for his tender usage of his power. We pray that we would trust him today. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.